You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here this morning and excited to worship with you this morning. Um, And I know that you all will be awake and lively and attentive because of your extra hour of sleep. And and God's going to do more in your life this morning than he ever has because of that extra sleep and because of your comfy chairs that you have now. Just don't fall asleep while we're talking, okay? Some of y'all are going to get too comfortable in here. But I'm glad that we're here together this morning to worship our Lord and to hear from his word. If you were here last week, we had a wonderful time sending off Steadfast Community Church, which this morning, by the way, they are hosting their first ever worship service in Slidell. And uh, I'm just excited for them. I was texting with those guys last night. What an incredible thing. And uh, we've lost some great people to send out uh, to, to plant uh, another healthy church on um, the other side of the North Shore. And so we're thankful for that. And you should add them to your prayer list. Uh, when you pray for our church, which you should, pray for their church, Steadfast Community Church, and pray for the work that the Lord is doing in their life and uh, through the life of their ministry. We also press pause in our verse-by-verse sequential and expositional preaching through the book of Luke. And as fit the occasion, when we were sending them off, started a short series of messages on the biblical characteristics of a biblical church. So important for us to understand, and it was very timely in sending off steadfast. And so... I've entitled this the, the series of messages, Biblical Characteristics of a Biblical Church, and this is part two. And what I want to do this morning is I want to launch out once again, and I want to be grounded in the scripture. I always want to start with exposition. So why do we launch out in a, in a message like this from, the, from a scripture? Um, why do we launch out with exposition here? It's because Imagine a a boat or something like that uh, being launched out onto a journey, and kind of the launch plays a super uh, important role because we're kind of gathering here for just a minute, noticing the the seriousness of what we're doing, where we're going, kind of calibrating our minds on uh, on the voyage and and the seriousness of it, being sober-minded as we begin. And so... I want to do that once again and simply uh, look at a text of Scripture, launch out, and then continue on in these biblical characteristics of a biblical church. And then we'll simply just remind you of the major points that we hit last week on this journey, which then led us to these six characteristics of a biblical church. And we're going to just pick right back up with numbers two and three. I said this would be a two-part, but y'all know me. And... um, and this is going to be three-part. We, we have to not rush this. This is so important for us to understand. It's better that we 
understand this and that we're able to live by this, able to make an impact um, in the people around us and, and able to stand on truth in this area of biblical a biblical church, what is a biblical church and what is not a biblical church. It's important that you stand on this and you're not afraid to stand on it. And so we need to do that. And so if it's gonna take us one extra week, then we gotta do it. Next week, we'll cover numbers four through six. And finally, we'll finish the list with addressing what it means to be connected to a biblical church. Um, Today, the reason why it takes a little bit more time is because we're covering one of the most important aspects of it, which is the authority of scripture. And that is just absolutely foundational to being a biblical church. And so we have to spend a good amount of time on it. Um, and, uh, and then we'll get back into Luke, which I'm so eager to do. We have to finish next week because I'm going on vacation. And, um, and then these, uh, some of our other pastors will get us back into Luke and we'll set sail from there. But um, I, I love being in books of the Bible. It's the safest place for us to be continually over and over and over again. Um, and, uh, and every so often God in his providence needs to move us into a, a few weeks like this to, to give us understanding about what the whole Bible says about any given subject. By the way, you can preach topically, right? Some, some people are asking that, that question. You can preach topically, but the difference in, in, uh, in biblical topical preaching and unbiblical topical preaching is that biblical topical preaching, we should maybe call it doctrinal preaching or thematic preaching, starts with a a teaching of the Bible, a doctrine like, for instance, the church or repentance or salvation, and then moves outward towards the people, right? Towards then how it applies to you rather than, which is unbiblical, let's start with you, your need, you know, et cetera, and then let's try to make our way to, to the Bible. And so we're starting here with this doctrine of the church, which is the study of the church, which is called what? Anybody know? Uh, a study of the church. Ecclesiology. There you go, right? Study of the church. Many people saying things. Listen, you're not right, which means you're Wrong. Okay, no. <laughs> All right. So, I'm trying to say it nicely to you. Now, to get us going here and to serve as a bit of a launching pad, I want to turn in, turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 19, please. Revelation chapter 19 is where we're going to start. And there we see the most significant point in the life of the church. The most significant point in the life of the church, the most important moment for the bride of Christ. It's the most anticipated event in the body of Christ. And it's, uh, it's what the, 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 the church looks forward to the most and sets its sight on. So make sure to look in the Bible with us. Grab a Bible in the, in the front of the, the chair or the back of the chair in front of you because this is what we do here. We look at the Bible, right? So we got to look at this and understand it. But there we see the most significant point in the life of the church. And uh, that is when it stands before the bridegroom, Christ. Think about this. Let this sober you up for a minute as to what the church is supposed to be about, what we're supposed to do here, what we'll spend our time on, what's significant to even give our attention to. The most significant point in the life of the church, the body of Christ, true believers in Jesus Christ, will be the time when they are standing before Christ, the bridegroom. Let that tell you how serious and how much we shouldn't waste our time on silly, worldly, pragmatic things. This is where we're going. 
It's when it's embraced by the sovereign Lord, the lamb who was slain to purchase the church with his blood, right? Revelation 19, starting in verse six, going through verse nine, it says this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with the fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Now, notice first here, three things. First, that the true church, that is true believers, first of all, will be one day eternally united with Christ. Think about this. Verse seven, we read, the marriage of the lamb has come. His bride, that's the church, those who have genuinely experienced salvation, Right? That's the true church. In a, a local assembly, there's wheat and there's tear. Right? It's, it, that's not the true church. But the true church are those who should be in a local assembly who truly know Christ through his saving and atoning work. That true church will be eternally united with Christ. That's where you're headed. That's where you're headed. And to think about what you should spend your time on and what you should care about, right? That's, what you're, that's where you're headed, the bride, the church, those who have experienced salvation. And this marriage, this coming together with Christ is eternally permanent. So you will be in his presence then forever, enjoying him, joy-filled physical and spiritual union with Christ. And the multitudes in heaven, as we see in these verses, they're worshiping God. Listen to this now. They're worshiping God around this union, and they're giving God all the glory. They're ascribing to him all the glory. Why? Because he has made this union possible. That as Revelation 21, 2 through 3 says, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. The multitudes, like thunder, are praising God because he's made this permanent union through his true church and he himself, the bridegroom, possible through Christ's atoning work on the cross. That's where you're headed. That's where the church is headed. Now you tell me what we should be spending our time on. 
right? Like what else would you, how silly would it be to spend your time on irreverent, silly, flippant things than to spend our time on worshiping and knowing and following Christ. That's where you're headed. What a picture. That is where the true church is headed to eternal life with Christ. Now think about this, friends. If that is where the church is headed now, what should we care about now? Listen, as sparks fly upward, you are incessantly moving towards eternity with Christ. You can't stop it. Either that or apart from Christ. Never-ending life with Christ or never-ending life apart from Christ. The true church moving towards being with him. How silly to think about the fact that most churches spend their efforts on leadership methods and gaining cultural popularity and growth strategies and living better instead of reverently and fearfully desiring to faithfully please the one whom they will encounter for all of eternity. And these vain and trivial things, listen, that churches care about, they train a whole, a whole, whole church culture. They train a whole church culture. And maybe you've been trained by it. That's why we're talking about this. Because if you train a whole church culture to care about naive, frivolous, carnal things as the approach to Christianity people in that system will actually feel like they're making it when they attain to what the leaders expect. But that might not be at all the way Christ measures faithfulness. And so don't measure up to a particular church culture. Measure up to the words and the expectations of Christ. He is the one whom you will encounter for all of eternity. Right? You got all these people who think they made it because the, the values of the leader are the values of the culture of the church and the values of the culture dictate how you should live out your Christianity and they might have nothing at all to do with biblical faithfulness. And you live a life thinking you made it when you haven't realized the one you're gonna see is Christ. The church is on a road towards eternity with Christ and therefore the aim should be simply to be faithful to Christ. The second thing we notice here is not only will the church be eternally embraced by Christ, but listen to this, now watch this. That church will also be made ready to be embraced by Christ. Now watch this, verse seven says, it tells us that his bride has made herself ready. Verse eight tells us that it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So the church is ready to be embraced by Christ in eternity. The church will be, and the church then is made ready to be. The true church has not only been justified, which means, listen, that all true believers have been declared righteous, blameless before God through the sacrifice of Christ, right? Justified, righteous, 
That means this. You have righteousness credited to your account so that you stand before God as innocent because Christ has paid the price. So you will be ready to meet Christ if you're a true believer because you've been justified before God. Now listen, the true church then is also sanctified, right? If you're a true believer, which means you've come to truly know Christ, you will be made holy and pure along the journey towards meeting Christ. That means your mind, your heart, your deeds will be sanctified through the truth of God's word. You understand? So righteousness credited and produced. Uh, uh, There's a righteousness that's credited to your account, and then there's a righteousness that's produced in you, right? This is imparted righteousness. That's sanctification, which happens to every believer, and it happens to you by the Holy Spirit in God through the word of God as you move towards eternity. So think about it this way. Justified, imputed, credited. Sanctified, imparted, created. That's what happens, okay? So this is the road to to Christ. You're justified. It's imparted to you, this righteousness. It's credited to your account. Then you're sanctified. It's, it's, uh, It's imparted to you through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's created in you by God. So the true church then will also, thirdly, be glorified. That means this, that every true believer will be perfected in heaven. You will be free from any sin. You will be free from any effect of sin. Your full holiness and righteousness will be made manifest. It'll come out. It'll be made visible, right? This is the idea. So righteousness of the true believer is fully consummated. So think about this. At this point, when you meet Christ... When you are embraced by Christ, when you are invited, if you know Christ, to the wedding banquet of the Lamb, you will be justified, imputed, credited, sanctified, imparted, created, and you will be glorified, which will happen instantly, and you'll be fully consummated, your righteousness. That's the idea here. The bride has made herself what? Ready. This is the picture of the church. So verse eight says, look at this now. Look at verse eight. All of this has been granted to her. Isn't this amazing? Your justification, your sanctification, your glorification is not something that the true church has earned or has achieved, but it's been given by who? By God, by sovereign grace. God has done this work in the true believing work, in the true believer. That's the picture here. This makes clear, listen now, stay with me. It makes clear what the true church should be spending their time on here on earth. And you know what that is? Getting ready to meet Christ. Getting ready to meet Christ. And we're gonna see this in a few minutes. The goal of your Christian life, after your salvation, I've said this plenty of times. You ready for this? What's the goal of your Christian life? After your salvation, it's your sanctification. It's to be made holy. That's the goal of your Christian life after you come to know Christ. You know, a lot of people are confused about this. They say after they're saved, what's the point of the Christian life? Is it to be famous? A famous Christian person? Is it to be successful? 
a successful Christian person? Is it to make it in some way or another, build an identity, feel something, experience something, influence someone, have a certain level of excellence? Let me just simplify this for you. It's to simply, faithfully become holy. That's the point of your Christian life after your salvation. And I'm gonna, and it happens, listen now, through an increasing knowledge of the word of God. And I'm gonna show you this shortly, so I'm not gonna spend any more time on this. So, listen, we learned this. This is just sobering you up. Just getting all the, all the soil nice and soft so you know that this is not something to be messed with. The biblical church, listen, the church will be eternally united with Christ. The church will be made ready for Christ. And by the way, every true believer now shows evidence of their true salvation through that fruit, through that being made holy. So the evidence of your salvation is the holiness of your life, right? That's the evidence. Now, thirdly, let me just mention this. You notice that these are those, those people, the ones who are being embraced by Christ, who have been made ready for Christ, are the only ones who will be truly blessed forever. Look at this. The angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are what? Verse nine, what does it say? Who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. Blessed are those people. You want to talk about being blessed? Like your your blessed life now? Right? Or your blessed life for all of eternity? You know what true blessing will be? Being blessed with Christ for all of eternity. Those are the only ones who are blessed. So listen, those are the only ones who will be blessed forever. Therefore, don't care about any other blessing. Care about one particular blessing, and that is that you will spend forever, that you will be invited to the marriage banquet of the Lamb. That's true blessing. And those are the only ones who will be blessed. Those who have experienced true salvation. We see this at the end, this affirmation. Look at this. These are the true words of God. You can bank on this because this is insight from God himself, right? So the idea, the point is here that no one will be able to fake it at this point, right? Like you're not gonna be able to fake whether or not you're invited to the marriage banquet of the Lamb. So it doesn't matter if the whole world thinks you're blessed now in the church, like, or whatever, like, at this point, the only blessed person is the one who's invited to the marriage banquet of the Lamb, right? So you got God's judgment, which will be like the true refiner's fire. It's going to expose the salvation or lack thereof, grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, based upon the scriptures alone. Those whom he's justified, sanctified, and glorified will be sitting at his table, And Matthew 7 tells us there will be many at that point who realize that they're not going to sit at his table who thought that they were going to sit at his table. False conversion, lostness, right? But the true church, born again on the merit of Christ, evidenced by the fruit that the scriptures give us, will be the ones who are blessed. Therefore, listen now, the church should care most about truly knowing Christ. Through his word, not a fabricated version to please the world, it will not be worth it. It is short-sighted. We should care 
about, be concerned about being invited to the wedding banquet of the Lamb. Otherworldly things will have no weight. It's a joke. So this is the picture, friends. This is where you're headed. This is what will happen. You will be embraced by Christ. You are being made ready and you will be ready for Christ. And those who are blessed will be the ones who are invited by Christ. So let's move out from there. That's our launching pad. And uh, let me just show you what we've said so far then about the body of Christ. We should be then people who care about the body of Christ. If you're truly saved, you should care about it. That's because the Bible cares about it. And what you care about is the saved church. That's one way we talk about the body of Christ, those who are the elect. And then secondly, we care about the local assembly. That is, believers gathered, uh, as we see in the scriptures, under the authority of the word. What should we care about as true believers? We should care about it, each local assembly being a biblical church. And then we should care about being connected to a local assembly, right? Talked about all of this last week, and you can go and listen to it. And we know that if these are the things that Christ calls us to care about and obey, then he's made them clear. He's made them clear. And how does he make things clear to us that he requires of us? By his word, right? So we are understanding that we should be people who find our expectations of the body of Christ in God's word. It's pretty simple, right? We need to put on the mind of Christ. By the way, that's what's happening in your sanctification. You're putting on the mind of Christ. So you want to, your old mind is being renewed to the mind of Christ. And that's sanctification. And then your, your obedience just plays out from there. You say, oh, well, I didn't know that was true. I didn't know what that, that well, God required that of me. And then you just, you just obey it. You follow it, right? So this is what happens. Now, which then leads us to ask, okay, then what does the word say, number three, about the biblical characteristics of a biblical church? If we got to find it from the word, then what does the word say about it? And uh, particularly about the local assembly and then about being connected to it. We talked about, here's the preview of the six items that we're going to talk about. And it's just good for us to continue to review this for three weeks. Listen, I got you for three weeks. I need you to know this stuff. Number one, the supremacy of God. Number two, this is the biblical characteristics. Number two, the authority of scripture. Number three, the uh, priority of holiness. Number four, the plurality of qualified eldership, the accountability of qualified membership. Number five, the responsibility of gospel proclamation. And number six, the necessity of love. So last week we spent as much time as we could on the first characteristic after building this argument, and that was the supremacy of God. And now we move on to the second one, and it's foundational. And number two, we see that a biblical church must be committed to the what? The authority of Scripture. Okay, so let's, let's rock here with this. You know, churches, listen now, churches and believers in Christ should care about true churches being separated from false churches. And this is not by ego or arrogance. Some people say, well, you're just, you're being divisive by pointing out what's wrong. No, 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 no. It's exactly what the scriptures call us to be. Because there's a true desire to do a few things. To one, exalt God. To secondly, have truly saved and sanctified people, not people who are under uh, a, a false pretense that they are born again when they, don't, when they don't even know what that means biblically. 
And so we want truly saved and sanctified people, but also then because we believe and trust the scriptures. We believe and trust the Bible and the fact that it's God's word and that it tells us what the church should be and who believers truly are and how people are sanctified. We have to trust the authority of scripture. That's why we submit ourselves to the word of God as the true church. If you are under the lordship of Jesus Christ, then you are under the lordship of his word. That, w- that, would, be a, uh, that would be an oxymoron to think that you're under the, the Lord Jesus and not under the word, authoritatively. It's what we believe about the Bible that causes us to do things according to the Bible. It's what we believe about the scripture that causes me to just explain the scripture as we meet on Sunday morning. A true church, listen now, believes in the divine authority of the word, and therefore the word shapes the church, and the word declares and and dictates what ministry the church does, right? Now think about this. We believe that scripture is inspired by God. That means it's written by the Holy Spirit of God through men as they were carried along, as Peter tells us. So we believe that, that the Bible is inerrant. We believe that the Bible is infallible. We believe that the Bible is sufficient. We believe that the Bible is uh, perspicuous, meaning it's clear, it's plain. You can understand it. The common man can understand its plain meaning. We, we believe that the, that the Bible has been preserved. And all of this leads us to the conclusion that the Bible should be authoritative in the church. It holds authority. It, it's, it's authoritative, meaning that it reigns and rules in our lives and in the life of the church. Because God's divine special revelation through the Holy Spirit has been given as the authority to all believers and the church collectively. The Bible holds the authority. Listen now, it reigns and it rules. In the church, it governs and it guides. In the church, it enlightens and empowers It convicts and compels. It reproves and reforms. It educates and equips the local church. 2 Timothy 3 says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God or the church, the believers, should be complete. That's sanctified. You're, you're, You're on a road towards completeness. You're still loading right now, that you'd be equipped for every good work. The job of the church then is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And that's done so then if this is what does the equipping through the word of God, the Bible is God's word to his people. And therefore a true local assembly must be led by God's word if they're led by God. Right? So listen, now the Bible teaches us a lot of things. I'm going to start with, with this. The Bible teaches you first and foremost about who God is. You know that? The Bible is the unfolding story of God. The Bible is not about us. The Bible instructs us, but the Bible is not about you. The Bible should actually feel alien to you. It's written to a, in a particular culture, in a particular context, in a, poli- a particular point of history with a particular meaning from a divine authority that all should feel alien to you until you study to understand its true meaning. Right? Now it's plain, but it is about God. And it's from God, and it's written in a particular context. The whole Bible is about Jesus Christ. We gotta understand that it's a story. The Old Testament is the anticipation of Christ. 
The Gospels are the visitation of Christ. Acts is the proclamation of Christ. The epistles are the explanation of Christ. And Revelation is the glorification of Christ. The whole book is about Christ. Think about this now. Anticipation, visitation, proclamation, explanation, glorification. Whole thing is about Jesus and his unfolding plan of, of salvation. The gospel centers on the scriptures, is the center of the scriptures, and the gospel, therefore, should be at the center of the church. We're saved by Christ. We're sanctified through Christ, for Christ. One day will we be with Christ. And the scriptures make this clear. The scriptures point us to a Christ-centered Christianity, as if there's any other way, right? But there is. There's a Christianity that's just made up by people, by a culture. I think this is the way that we should do it. I think this is the way that pleases God. I think this is right, you know. And uh, I'm the center. Christ is not the center. That's what Christianity is. Listen, apart from the centrality of the Bible and the church, the church will be a me-centered, application-centered Christianity. Right? Luke 24, 27, Jesus did this. In the beginning with Moses, uh, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Meaning this, the whole scripture pointed to who? Him. This is the point. The local assembly must be made up of believers who are Christ-centered. The job of the pastor then is to equip the saints with the word, right? We should submit to his word. The word should equip the saints, not minimal word to, to reach the lost. It's just so backwards. The word saves and the word sanctifies. Did he give any other way to just explain the word, right? Some people ask, well, will the word work in the church? Well, what's your definition of work, right? Of course it does. That's what he told the church to do. He gave him the word and he just said, you know, explain it. That's it. There's no other method. Do you mean to make it more attractional and entertaining? I mean, what's the definition there? Right? This is the point. We have to understand the word of God. Believers will do what God tells them to do, which is explain the word. By the way, unbelievers then will come in and the best thing they can realize is that they're outside the family of God. The best thing is not to make them feel comfortable outside the, the family of God, right? They will realize that they're ignorant, ignorant to the truth when you explain the truth, and then the Holy Spirit will bring conviction and then cause repentance and faith to turn to the truth, right? Once they understand that they are outside of the truth, the best thing is not for you to make them feel like they are in the truth. That's not loving, even though that's what our culture calls loving, Right? Then they will be condemned in their sin, thinking that they will make it to heaven and they will be eternally damned. There is need for an unbeliever to repent and therefore be saved, so they must hear the word of God. And if God is working in their life, the Holy Spirit is working to draw them to salvation, they will realize that they are separated from God and alienated from the truth. They are, uh, they are ignorant to the truth. They don't know it. And then they will repent because they need to turn to the truth. The worst thing you can do is not give the truth even to the unbelievers who come. So many so-called churches, listen now, are trying to become more like the world. Friends, the church is to be set apart from the world, distinct from the world, to have no true fellowship with the world. We're governed by the word of God. Listen now, so many churches 
Pastors want to be accepted by the world. They're afraid to offend the world. They gear their entire ministry to the, to the visitor. And can I tell you, listen, that's what you, what you, when you do that, when you're supposed to be equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, you leave a whole body malnourished in order to look past your people to gain more people for your own ego. It, the, the church is not for the visitor. The church is for the what? The saints. The church is the saints. It doesn't even make any sense. The church are the believers. The goals are not numbers. The goals are to go deep in the scripture, to spend your time and study prayer. That's what the pastor should do. So the congregation will mature. And if you don't, the congregation will remain immature at best, lost at worst, void of any true biblical teaching. And you're the ones I have to give an account for, whom the pastor has to give an account for. So you guys get first priority, the members of this church, right? That's the one, because we don't want to overlook the true sheep who have been entrusted to the care of the pastor, whom they will have to give an account for in order to gather goats into the fold. The unbelieving world, listen, they will reject the truth. They will. It is true. But we can't be afraid of that. Because we know that God is truly drawing some to salvation through his Holy Spirit. Listen, can I tell you, let me just say this. The, whole, the word of God is the, it does the same thing. For, it equips the saints and it saves the lost. That the word of God does, does it all. The same word. So there's no other strategy than for the church to be built on the authority of Scripture. People say, well, that strategy, preaching the word, won't reach any lost people. Well... You got to run from that unbiblical type of thinking. That's Satan. Because the fact is that the word of God only saves, but it also sanctifies. Are you going to come up with a new strategy? If you're repelled by the word of God, then you got bigger fish to fry. That you'd say, God, do I know you? And the Lord, are you drawing me to salvation? Romans 10 says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen now, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who go and preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the what? Listen now. So the word saves and the word sanctifies. But it tells us, Romans tells us that Isaiah says, not everyone will believe it. So, but we don't change our directives. Listen now, the church is a place that loves, teaches, knows, submits to the scriptures. So many churches use the Bible sparsely and use their own ideas at various other times. But the essence of the church, can I tell you this? Listen now, it's the dispenser of truth. Do you know that? Paul says this to Timothy, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Okay, now. How should you behave in the household of God? Ready? Well, let me tell you what it's called first. It's the church of the what? Living God. It's a pillar and buttress of what? Of what? Truth. Do you know that? 2 Timothy 3.15. And so the Bible directs, qualifies what we do in every regard. The Bible is how we lead the church. Now, let me tell you this. This is how you are to be led. So let me say this. If I start leading you 
in any other direction without the scripture leading you, like, a, like leaving pieces of food on the ground, right? It's leading you by feeding you, right? You understand? If I do anything other than that, you need to kick me out. Because the teaching is what, te- what, what directs the congregation, the, sh- the sheep. That's why the pastor's only skill in the scriptures is, in the qualification for elders, is able to what? Teach. The rest are character-related. So let me tell you now, we're, we're going to get to number four on the list, but regarding qualified eldership, listen, this is very important. You got to realize that just because someone has given their title as a pastor or because a church has given them that name doesn't mean they truly are one biblically. Anyone can call themselves pastor. There might be a person in town who's called pastor so-and-so, pastor so-and-so, pastor so-and-so. That doesn't mean they're truly a pastor just because they got the title. The Bible qualifies pastoral leadership and it's teaching genuinely the word of God and biblical characteristics of character. So anyone can be called that. Many churches just have CEOs, public speakers, uh, you know, Christian titles. Second Timothy says this, do your best to present yourself. This is what the, the, the pastor does. And this is all under the authority of scripture. It's just important that you know this. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling what? There's a wrong way to handle it. But avoid irreverent babble. That's what's happening most of the time. It's, there's irreverence. Irreverent babble. Right? Just talking. It will lead people into what? More and more ungodliness. Their talk will spread like gangrene. Among whom are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth. We don't need irreverent babble. Therefore, listen now. The pastor, in order to play this out. Authority of scripture, the pastor must spend his time in the word of God to feed the sheep. Each passage of scripture has a meaning, an authorial intent, what, the script, what God meant. And it's at a critical point. Listen now, every passage we read is at a point in this unfolding story. So we got to ask, where is this passage in, the, in light of this unfolding story? What's come before it? What's come after it? What's the context? What's the authorial intent? What did God mean? Not what do I want this to mean? This is important. You may say, well, you're getting technical now. This is not important. Listen, the opposite of truth is what? Error. You can't be led by error. Right? It will lead to death. You got to know the true meaning of scripture. The church has to be led by the scripture. The pastor must understand this. Listen. When he preaches, he must simply do this. Ready? Read the text, explain the text, and exhort with the text. Apply the text. That's it. You start with the text and you stay with the text the whole time. Right? Acts 6 says this. This is what the pastor should do because it should monopolize his time in the Bible. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we will appoint this duty to them. We will devote ourselves. What's the, what's the elders devoting themselves to? Prayer and the ministry of the word. Isn't that amazing? Listen now, you guys pay someone to just pray for you and teach you. Isn't that amazing? That I could, I need to be in my office praying for you and preparing to teach you rightly. That's all you need. 
And then everyone else, you guys do the work of the ministry. To have someone who does that, isn't that important if your family's gonna be guided by this for 20 years? And it's important if your children are gonna be guided by this for the next 20 years? That you get it right? I mean, that's really important. I wouldn't want some blowing and going movement. I want someone who teaches what's true and what's right. Listen now, so many pastors in so many churches spend their time in other things other than study and prayer. This is what the people need. This is what you need. We don't need me to come up with cleverness, clever points, and put Bible verses under it. Let me tell you, if we do that, if we do that, when, the, when, I'm, when I pick a passage, of, if I pick a passage of scripture, jump off, come up with my own clever points from my own mind, then stick Bible verses underneath them. Do you know that when that happens, you're not being conformed to the word, you're being conformed to me. You understand? When a pastor doesn't teach the word, you're not being conformed to, the, to Christ, you're being conformed to that person. Now that's scary. You wanna be like that person? Right? That's what happens. Pete, you just never realize it. You're, con- you're being conformed to a thinking or a philosophy of a leader rather than to the Bible. And some people sit under that for 20 years, 50 years. Plus, listen now, that means you will never grow higher than what the pastor already knows in his mind. Think about this. If I come into it, to the computer or to the pulpit with my own ideas, find Bible verses that come underneath them, and I don't spend a ton of time and study understanding the true meaning of scripture, you will never grow more than what I already know because I will spend the next 20 years just telling you what I already know. And I'll repackage it in some different ways, but it's my stuff and my thinking and my philosophy on life and on ministry and on the church. You will only stay at a certain point. You'll never grow beyond that. But listen now, if we go to the word and each week we just take what's next. We say, we don't know what's next. Oh, here it is. Man, this is, I don't even know what in the world is going on here, right? Let me spend 20, 30 hours in study and figure out what this means, what the author's intent was. Wow, I never knew all of this. Let me explain it to you. Then guess what happens to you? You grow. You grow then into what God has for you and what God says and things that you don't know. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so his ways are above ours. So that's why we have to do this. We have to take one verse at a time in a book of the Bible, and we got to understand the context, and then we have to continually understand what it says, and then you will be constantly growing and constantly conforming to the image of Christ, right? Anyone who sits down and doesn't do that, listen, you're a compromising truth if we think we just got to do sermons that you want to hear. Right? Listen, we can't ignore this. This is important. So, also now, listen, because I'm just, we, we got to expose what's going on here. The pastor, if he doesn't teach through the authority of Scripture and the Word of God, you will only hear certain Scriptures, and certain Scriptures will be avoided, and you'll never know it. If, they're, if we're not just going verse by verse through books of the Bible, major issues will always be avoided because they're not popular to the culture, right? Things like divorce, thing, I mean, things like homosexuality. You'll never learn about those things if the pastor gets to choose what he preaches on each week. And you won't ever notice that. You'll never notice that. And a pastor will just preach on what he wants to preach on, and you will be deficient and crippled in your understanding, 
you won't receive certain parts of the Bible. So God ensures a full, balanced diet for you as we just preach through the word of God, right? You have, a, you have all the nutrients you need continually. He's ensured a full, balanced diet. Now, let me tell you one last thing that won't happen if, if the pastor's not under the authority of scripture, and that's this. The pastor won't be sanctified himself. If you have someone who's leading you in the word, who's not spent sufficient time in that word week after week after week after week, you know what? I know 100% sure that they're being more formed by leadership models than they are by the word of God. So now you've got an unholy pastor teaching you not the word of God and you are left deficient. I mean, this just goes bad in a hurry. Do you understand? This is important. We need to have clarity about these things. Now, listen, what does the Bible teach us? Because we, we've pointed out enough error, but we need to understand these things because we need to refute, as Titus says, those who contradict false doctrine. When you learn from the Bible, you should not just be learning about Christian living. You should be understanding areas of doctrine, theology proper, Christology, pneumatology, bibliology, anthropology, hamartiology, soteriology, ecclesiology, angelology, eschatology. These are the 10 major areas of doctrine that every passage of scripture speaks on right? And so you need to have clear categories in your mind as to what you believe about salvation, about the Bible, about the church, about the end time. I mean, you got to have clear categories so you know and have conviction about what the Bible says about any given thing. That way you can bank your life on it. I can't leave this because this is the truth of the scriptures. It tells me what's true and I, I got to have clarity about it. So you don't just need a Christian living teaching. You need doctrinal teaching. You got to understand what the Bible teaches about salvation, God's sovereignty of salvation, Christ's sacrifice in salvation, evidences of salvation. You got to know these things, right? And then we need to refute those who contradict it. Titus 1.9 says this, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who what? Listen, they're, they're, if it's called a sound doctrine, then there's also what? Unsound doctrine. That kills, it kills, it sends people to hell and doesn't, it doesn't save and it doesn't sanctify. This is bad news. So listen, let me tell you, 1 Timothy also says this, if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, train yourself for godliness. Until I come, here's what you should devote yourself to. Public reading of scripture, exhortation, and what? Teaching. Do not neglect the gift which has been given you by prophecy, the counsel of the elders last, uh, when they laid their hands on you. Listen, the, the prophecy means to speak before. We, we abuse that word. It's a teaching. First Timothy says this, it goes on. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this for so, by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is important. Sound doctrine gives us spiritual discernment as to what's true and what's not. Right? Hebrews 5 says this, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. What do you think the goal then is? To become what? Skilled. Since he is a ch uh, 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 he's a child. 
But solid food is for the mature. That's where we're going, Ephesians tells us. For those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You should be able to distinguish that. Do you understand? So we have to, we have to understand this. And we have to know that this is the way in which the church should go. Acts 20 says this. We're almost done with this first point. We're just gonna mention the second. But listen now. Therefore, be alert. Remembering, this is what Paul said, that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. You know what the word admonish means? The Greek word means to warn. So Paul's ministry was a warning ministry. And now listen now, he encouraged them in what was right and warned them for what was false. So we need to to understand this. Now, all of this is to help you see that the church should be centered on the Bible. Listen, the authority of scripture is what should be taught. We should have clarity and sound doctrine. We should be able to discern what's right and what's wrong. The true word is what truly saves and what truly sanctifies. This is the worship that pleases God. Listen, worship that's guided by the word is worship that pleases God. Those who are content to not understand right doctrine are those who are content to live in error, right? You talk about a false teacher, you know, and and false churches and false conversion, false doctrine. It's really not that complex. A false teacher is anyone who teaches what? What is false? False doctrine is claiming that the Bible says something that it what? doesn't say. And the Bible tells us to warn against this. So a spirit-led church is a worshipful church led by the word of God because the spirit wrote the Bible. So some people say is it spirit-led. Depends on what your definition is, right? But we have to teach the Bible. The Bible is what is most important. One preacher said this, because it's going to be opposed I would rather have thousands to say to me at the judgment, we heard you preach and you hurt our feelings than to have just one lost soul say, I heard you preach, but you did not tell me what? The, the truth. We need to say what's true. Now, let me, let me say this. This was the issue of the Reformation that Martin Luther exposed false teaching. And this was a time in history when men of conviction saw what the Bible stated. They stood for the word of God. They openly protested what was untrue. That's why you get the word Protestant. Comes from the word protest. If you're not Catholic, you're Protestant, right? If you are a true Bible-believing Christian. And it comes from the word protest. And here's what happened to the reformers. They were burned at the stake. They were called heretics. They were called divisive. They were called before councils. They were tried. They were imprisoned. They were kidnapped. All because they stood on the authority of the word of God. Here's what, I don't have time to explain this, but we're gonna have books out in the lobby that you should buy and you should know everything there is to know about the Reformation, right? Steve Lawson says this. There There was a question that was asked to Martin Luther. What'd you do to shake up the whole world? He said this. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And then I slept. And the word, was, the word so weakened the papacy 
that never a prince, never an emperor inflicted such damage upon it. I did nothing. The word did it all. Right? We're not looking for gimmicks. We're looking for the word and to be true to it. I'm skipping over a lot because we don't have time, but let me just encourage you. Read about the Reformation and read about people who contributed to it, who came after it, who came before it, people like John Wycliffe, John Huss, Martin Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, Bollinger, Knox, William Tyndale, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones, James Montgomery Boyce. Just read about all these men. And you'll see you're in a long line of people who are called to be faithful to the authority of Scripture, and I want you to stand on it. Now, listen, I just got to jump to this. Not only are we committed to the supremacy of God, the authority of Scripture, but then thirdly, now we're, create, we're, we're committed to the priority of holiness. The priority of holiness. And this, is, it, this moves in a, in a, in a very important uh, trajectory. The supremacy of God, God is exalted. He's lifted up. Therefore, we come underneath his word. And when we come underneath his word, thirdly, listen, we obey what it says and we become holy. This is a picture of the church. That's the picture of what the church is supposed to be. I want to make this brief, but I just want to make clear this. The goal of your Christian life after you are saved is to be sanctified. That's the goal of your Christian life. That's who you should become. That's what should happen in your life. That's what you should focus on after you are saved. 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, For God has not called us to, for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, whom he gives the Holy Spirit. Many people, again, are confused about what the Christian life is about after they're saved. It's about you being sanctified, that you would know God, become like God, prepare to meet God, grow in your knowledge and your understanding of the word, and then you will repent, you will feel conviction, you will change, you will conform to the world, to the word, not the world, right? Now, let me tell you this. You want to understand this. God wants a pure church. God wants a pure church, okay? God wants a pure church. He wants a pure bride. That's the goal. So that happens in two, two ways. Listen, first of all, that happens that the true church would be made up of just believers. He wants a pure bride. That's why there's church discipline. Church discipline ensures that the church remains a genuine group of what? True believers. You get that? You follow Matthew 18? And you ensure that the church remains believers, right? And then God wants a pure church and his true believers being sanctified, right? Listen now, Romans 12 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do you know how you worship God? Become holy. Become holy. Do not be conformed to what? The world, but be transformed. Here's how it happens. By the renewal of your mind. When you look at the word, that's why we're moving on to holiness from the word. When you look at the word, then what happens is you say, oh, that's what's true. And then you conform your life to it. Then you discern what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. Right? Right? And so holiness, worship, 
not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by your mind. Then you will be able to discern the truth and obey it. Now, if you want it more clear, let me just make it crystal clear. Look, ready? Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Here's why Christ gave himself up for the church. Look at this now. Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. What? That he might sanctify her. Saved for the purpose of sanctification. Having cleansed her. Now, here's how it happens. Well, how? By the washing of the water with the word. That's pretty simple. So that it might, he might present the church to himself. I told you, God wants a pure church. He might present the church to himself in what? Without spot or wrinkle. We read about this, didn't we, in Revelation 19? That she might be holy and without blemish. That's the goal here. John 17, sanctify them in the truth. Here's how it happens. The word of God. Your word is truth. Right? Colossians 1 says this. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every way, in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge. Knowledge bears fruit, is pleasing to God. Got this? So this is what your goal is. This is what the life of the Christian should revolve around. God saves, then God sanctifies. The bride is prepared for the bridegroom. He wants a pure church, and this is what's happening in the church. This is what's going on in the local church. The true believers are exalting God as the authority. They're coming under the authority of Scripture, and then they're being made holy by the word. This is what we should move towards, church. And this is the right goal. Now listen, next week, we're gonna talk about three more very important things and finish this out. I'll have to be shorter each because we gotta pack them all in in one time. But let me just encourage you. Be people who stand on this. Be people who stand on what is a biblical church, what is biblical characteristics of a biblical church. Come under the authority of God, Right? through his word, and become holy as he calls you to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I ask you to, um, to just take it and do what only you can with it, which is make us more like yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.